Well, good morning to you. It is great to see you. I'm always, I always find it great encouragement when you come forward, and, and it's been my habit to see you and, and pray for you as you come forward, so it's really great to be joined by Mark and Rich and Larry there to, to pray for you as you come forward. This morning, I know that there are multiple things that people are rejoicing over and, and their hearts are heavy for, but um, and so know that we were praying for those things even as you came forward. You're going to want to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. Or on the called the challenge, and this is why I wore these shoes because remember last week um, I changed shoes in the middle of the sermon. And if you want to do that, just go to our website. You want to see that again? It is there. But this is because I am prepared for action, and I know they don't go great with khakis, but they go great with the idea of being prepared. And so um, we're in First Peter. Peter is writing to a, a group of churches, a kind of a cluster of churches um, in what we would call modern day Turkey. It's an area. Um, Fairly large, if you were to go kind of in central Oregon, it would be between like the border of Oregon, I mean, border of Washington up there, and then down all the way to northern California and out to Spokane, Boise, Idaho. It's, it's about that big. Um, British Columbia, it'd be there to, to Eugene, Oregon, to um, the place, northern California, Eureka, you know. So that's about where we're at. And Peter's writing to this cluster of churches, and I think he's really trying to encourage them. They're going through a lot, and therefore they need hope. They're going through a lot. They need to be reminded of their firm foundation. And so he is encouraging these churches. And so we've been watching and learning and, and looking. And so, if you will, join with me in First Peter chapter 2. And by the way, it's, it's Peter, a guy that's been discouraged, a guy that knows a little bit about needing to be picked up. And so in First Peter chapter 2, he says this, and then we'll unpack it. He says, Therefore, of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and every kind of slander. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture, for in Isaiah, it says, See, I lay a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him, not the cornerstone, but in him, will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which, which is also what they were destined for. And so this morning we're going to talk about three truths that you need to see. We're going to review a little bit about 1 Peter chapter 1. And just, we're going to pick up a couple of key words and, chapter, and see that word also put in chapter 2. So go ahead and fill out this outline. It says this. It says, you have a living hope. You have a living hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a dead hope? No, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is going to be really easy for you to remember where they are. 
chapter 1, verse 4. Okay, you got that? Chapter 1, verse 4. The next one will be chapter 1, verses 24. And the next one, just move the two over, put the colon in the middle. The next one will be chapter 2, verse 4. See, it gets pretty easy to remember about the living hope. And because he was in a culture, a living hope. They had a dead hope. They had, they had columns and they had temples and they didn't have anything else. Their hope was not living hope. Their hope had not risen from the dead. In fact, their hope was just a bunch of statues that, that littered and populated the rounds. And you could go from community to community, and you might, you might see a temple in this community and that community, and everywhere you would see a stone idol. And none of those idols, as we just read, were talking, were walking, were, were interacting with the people. They were mute, they were deaf, they were blind, they were lame. And Peter is telling this little cluster of churches, this little cluster, imagine you're a group of Christians in, in the first century, and you got this little house church, 20, 30 people maybe, who knows, in it, and, and everywhere around you, they're, they're thinking that you're weird, they're thinking that you're strange, and some of you, I know they do that today anyways, um, and, and, but may it be because of your faith, not because you're weird and strange. Huh, who am I thinking of right now? Hmm, okay. Anyways, um, um, so, so we've got this idea, and Peter is telling them that they, they are birthed into a living hope, not a dead hope. And so that's the first thing you need to think about. And remember this idea is you have a living hope. Let's go ahead and repeat that together. You have a living hope. One more time. You have a living hope. You do, and, and your hope is not dead. Your hope is not hidden in some wall. It's living. And the next thing that is important of it, remember? 124, it says, you have a living word. Let's repeat that. You have a living word. Let's, let's make it personal, okay? I have a living word. Ready? I have a living word. And that living word is the scriptures. See, what does it say? For you have born, been born again. That's exactly what verse 4 says. You have been birthed into this living hope. You have been born again, not of a perishable seed, not of a seed that's just going to go and grow and die, but a seed that is going to be imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Your living hope is imperishable through the living of God. What is, what is one of the things I always want you to do is read the scriptures. Because the scriptures are not like a novel, not even like a history book. The scriptures are the living, breathing word of God. Sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide bone and marrow, soul and spirit. And if you want to hear from God's voice, what do you do? Open up God's word. He will faithfully speak to you. I can't hear from God. Well, are you reading his word? No. So read his word. Trust in him. And his living word, based upon the living hope, will speak to you. It might not say what you want it to say. It might call you to stop doing some things that you're doing. It might ask you to change. It might ask you to do some things that are uncomfortable. Therefore, you don't want But as my friend Tom says, just start one sentence at a time. And eventually, one sentence turns into two and turns into four. Read the living word of God. Third thing, two, four. Remember? One, four, 24, two, four. You have a living stone. Let's, let's repeat that together. You have a living stone. Let's make it personal. I have a living stone. 
As you come to him, because you have living hope, because you have the living word, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. The stone is not some cold into which you come and you present a, a dead animal and spill its blood on top of it. The stone you have is a living, precious, beautiful stone. So I was thinking about what does that look like? You know, a lot of times when you think of a stone, in fact, this morning I went over to Walmart and I was going to get, try to find some stones, and, and they were granite. Could I find some granite stones, some marble stones? What could I find? And then I started to think about the kind of stones it is. It's, it's not a granite, not a marble stone, but, but a precious stone, one that glitters, one that sparkle, one that's beautiful to look at. And so maybe this is the influence of my wife, but, but watch this. He is Jesus, a precious stone. Why would he need to be this kind of a stone? This is the kind of stone light passes through. See, if he was just a marble, light would be impenetrable to it. If he was granite, light would be impenetrable. But imagine Jesus being an accumulation of all of these stones. Imagine the light that's going to come through on the other side. Imagine you being one of these stones as well. And the light of Christ, the Spirit of Christ dwelling within you, comes in and changes what comes out the other side. Because God has made you precious. See, Jesus was chosen. He is precious. He is chosen by God, and he is precious. And so so when Jesus is baptized, he says, This is my Son in whom I love. Follow him. Later on, he says, This is my Son. Listen to him. God, the Father, proud of Christ, the Son, the precious Son, the chosen Son, from the beginnings of the living Word of God, from the beginnings of what we call Genesis chapter 3. Jesus was chosen back then to be the one who bruises and steps on the serpent's head. All the way through the text, the living Word of God testifies that Jesus was was proclaimed and chosen. And then the little baby, Jesus, is born. He's presented at the temple, and they said, this is the and he's rejected by men. We'll see that in a moment. He's rejected. But Jesus is precious. Jesus is chosen. See, he was rejected, but he is the cornerstone. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And so the builders would, would look at a kind of stone. If they wanted to build a building, they'd look at the kind of stone. They'd say, oh, this is the stone that we're going to build the building on. And if the cornerstone would determine the length, the width, the height, of the building. If you get a little pebble to build your house on, you're going to have a very small house, right? right? You, you would say, okay, well, I'm going to have a small house. because." Of but if you have a big slab of marble for the corner of your house, how big is your house going to be? It's going to be huge, right? Because Jesus is the chest. Imagine a giant diamond. That big. Amen. Right? He is that cornerstone and all the light and, and then you get built upon that cornerstone. Your ruby, a sapphire, can you see through sapphire? Um, okay, yeah. I don't know anything much more about other than diamonds and green things, right? I'll have Amy here come talk about jewelry in a second. But um, So he was rejected, but he is the cornerstone. Everything is built upon Jesus. Don't build your foundation upon something else. Don't build your sound foundation. Jesus talks about the end. Well, end of Matthew 7, he says some people build upon sand. Don't build your house upon sand. Build your house. He is Jesus. He was challenged. Wait, he challenged people with his message, and he will rule people. 
He will judge people with his rule. And that's what it says, the stone that caused people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And we like that. We really love the fact that Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth of the life. Great. Then it says, no one can come to the Father except for through me. Well, but, 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 but wait, I don't like that teaching. That seems exclusive. That seems, that seems like that you're leaving all kinds of other people out. And so some people reject Jesus because he said, you're right. You can't come to the Father except for through me. And we don't like that. We become uncomfortable with that, but find his message hard. Some people find it difficult, and so they go, well, well, you know, I've got other things to do than follow Jesus. So I'm going to go over here and do other things. I'm just going to listen to his teachings because I like the fact he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Okay, but I don't like the rest of that verse. And so it causes people to stumble walking through, and they trip over it, and they fall, and they get hurt. And ultimately, because they reject Jesus, the sheep and the goats, Jesus Christ himself will say, away from me, for I never knew you. Jesus, he is the stone. You are a living stone in Jesus. Jesus is the living stone. He, he's the cornerstone, but he is still living. And so he's taking you and he's, and he's going to build this, this place we call heaven. He's building this place with precious stones. Precious stones of light, of color, of brilliance. And, and he's building it one by one, each a different size, each a different color. Isn't this great? He, he, and, and the wall is not made out of bricks. It's not made out of preformed bricks that are all the same size. And so we're not all equal. We're not, we don't all look alike. It's not a giant concrete wall, so it's just one giant slab. Imagine the wall in heaven. Just, just beautiful gems sparkling as clear as can be. And imagine what that wall would look like with red and green and, and clear sparkles in it. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Church, you're one of those sparkles. You're one of those precious stones that Jesus has chosen to cut the groom to make shine to his liking. And so sometimes a jeweler will take a nice diamond, but, but it's odd-shaped. It doesn't reflect the light enough, and so he has to take and chip, 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 chip in order to get that diamond so it reflects the light to the master's ideal. Oh, we like that, right? We just don't like to be chipped. God's in the process of helping you reflect his glory, chipping away those things that, from his unintended purposes. See, you also, like living stones, are connected for, to each other. First of all, you're being built. You don't have an option where you're going to be in the wall. You don't have an option where you're going to be in this building. This is where God is going to place you. He's going to place you here so that whatever his grand design is, you, he gets the most amount of bang for the buck, if you will. It, it, it fits best for him to put you in this place. And so, you are connected to those. See, like stones, you are being built. Every single one of you here has a purpose, a meaning, an opportunity to reflect and to take the glory of God. You are being built, and therefore you get to be connected to You're like that blue stone at the top, and you need to be connected to the light green stone on the bottom or your, the middle blue. And, and just because God wants to make this beautiful thing out of all of us, reflecting, allowing his light to pass through. See, the church needed this encouragement because it was in a world that was anti-church, a world that was anti-Christian, a world that said, you know what, you can believe that, but if you're going to believe that, you can't trade over here, you can't 
use my, the same monetary system. If you don't bow to Caesar, um, then you've got to move out of town. We're going to take over your business. And the church is struggling. The church needs the hope and the encouragement. And so it says, by the way, you're connected to one another. And also you need to connect to stones. You're being built into a spiritual house. You are connecting to each other. Church of Jesus Christ, people in Colton, this morning, you get the privilege of connecting to one another. Not just being connected to God, not just being connected in a thing, but you get the privilege of using your gifts, using your abilities to help one another, to encourage one another, to support one another, because there are no holes in the wall that Jesus builds. There's no jewels that are missing. There's nothing that, that, that is absent. And so when a jewel falls out, what do we do? We've got to go and get it, right? It's precious. It's, it's valuable. And you won't say, well, there, there's back where it belongs. That's our calling. That's our purpose that we are to take and not only connect to him, but we are to connect to one another. It says, you are a living stone interceding for others. See, you're built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A priest really has two jobs. And by the way, you get the privilege of doing it. A priest has two jobs. One is, is if you're going to come and, and you don't, and in the old system, you wouldn't have access to God. In the Jewish system, none of you would be able to walk in and say, okay, I'm going to the temple and I'm going to go talk to God and that's good, but you have to go through a priest in order to talk to God. And so you come to the priest, you bring your sacrifice and you tell the priest what you sacrifice and he presents your requests to God. You're the person. So first of all, you accept the request of others. And then the other thing a priest does is they share the message of God to you. You receive the message, and you intercede for them. You pray for them. And then also, you take and you say, what does God have to say? See, it says you are a holy priesthood. Every single one of you. God has granted the privilege of now coming into his presence, accepting his sacrifice, being able to talk to him without an intermediary, being able to talk to God personally, one-on-one, -on -one, and then also being able to pray for others. Get an amen for that. That's great stuff, because that's your job. You get to intercede for others as a priest, as a role. That's what you get to do. And not only that, but you get to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable through, I mean, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we have this idea is that we're priests. We get to take the sacrifice, and we get to present it to God, but there are three things that we need to see that are acceptable sacrifices to God. Three things that are acceptable. One, your body as a living sacrifice. You're coming to God and say, God, God, I want to make this sacrifice today. I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to pray, and God, what am I going to do? Well, your body is a sacrifice. Romans chapter 12 is the practical application in the book of Romans. Chapters 1 through 11 are all about kind of, this is truth, deep theological stuff about justification, the Holy Spirit in your life. That's true of you. Now, because you are a Christian, because you've admitted that you're a sinner, because you walk with God, this is how you need to live. And he says the first thing you do, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You know, it didn't matter whether or not you sung strong today. That wasn't an act of worship as much as, what are you going to do today? Offer your bodies and say, God, I'm going to give you my body. I'm going to give you my mind. I'm going to give you my hands. I'm going to give you my heart. Lord Jesus, today, 
I don't know what you want, but, but I offer you today myself. And you know, since we're a living sacrifice, if you put a living sacrifice on top of the altar, what's it likely to do? It's likely to want to crawl off and go somewhere else, right? And so we need to, by faith, we need to just stay right there on the altar and say, use me today as you see pleased. Make a commitment today, this morning, to say, God, you can have my body. Wherever I go, I want you to go. The things I say, I want you to be your words. See, that's the next thing. Your lips. The writer of Hebrews says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continue offer to God a sacrifice of complaining, a sacrifice of grumbling, a sacrifice of, of being unhappy and unholy. No, he says, let us offer a sacrifice of praise. In other words, church, sometimes it's really hard to praise God. Some of you go amen to that, but you go amen quietly. Because life is hard. The challenges in front of you are difficult. And in the midst of that, can your faith stand up and say, praise the Lord? Can your faith say, yes, Lord, I accept, your, I accept my placement in your wall at this moment, at this time right there. I praise your name. And Wednesday night we talk about rejoice, and we looked at rejoicing over and over and over again. And Paul says his command is rejoice in the Lord always. It, will, it is no trouble for me to write this again. It says rejoice. Praise the Lord. So let's practice that. We're just going to say praise the Lord a couple of times to get you guys in the mood so that when you leave, you'll at least remember that. Ready? One, two, three. Praise the Lord. One more time. Praise the Lord. Awesome! You guys are doing great. Okay, um, then one more thing. you got lips of the sacrifice. Then your hands. Your hands. Continuing, verse 15 was at your lips. Verse 16, it says, And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for such is the will of God. And so it says this, This is a sacrifice of praise. It is doing good, and it is sharing with others. Church, we need a sacrifice of praise. God, thank you that I am able to help this person today. God, thank you that, that I'm able to encourage that prayer. Your lips. God, thank you that I'm able to be there for the person. Go back to your body. Because, church, we need one another. If you knew what I knew about what was going on in the lives of this church, you would know that we need one another. There are churches that are hard. There are some health issues that are going on in the church that are challenging. And they're here because they need you to be with them. There are some people that are rejoicing greatly over things that have gone on. And they're so excited and they're looking for people to tell. You know what? They need you to share those things. And they don't need you to poo-poo them because you're going through something bad. They need you to just rejoice with them over the good things going on in their life. Living hope. Living word. Living stone. That's who we are. And so so I'm going to say there are two applications now to this. Two applications for the three truths. Are you ready? We're going to get a little gross. I was was listening to Remembers. And you know, the more graphic a picture is, the more we'll remember it. Are you ready for the next picture? No, okay, it's not that bad, actually. It's just a picture, it's just a picture of barf. So, <laughs> because there's something inside of us. And, 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 and Amy will tell you, I hate to, uh, this is just going to be honest, I really hate to throw up. 
It is something that, that I, I, I would rather have my leg amputated, I think, than throw up. And, um, and so I, I will just do whatever I can not to do it. And there's something inside of all of us, though. When you eat something that isn't right, when I ate that fish taco, I knew it wasn't right. And sure enough, my body, and it had to come out. Same thing is true with all of us. We have stuff in our life that isn't right. And Peter, at the beginning of chapter 2, says there are five things in our life that aren't right that we need to get out of our life. And the first one is we need to get rid of our desire to inflict harm or injury or suffering on another person. I looked up what all these words mean, and that's what malice means. Malice is when you want to inflict injury upon somebody else. Malice is when you want harm to come to them. Malice is when you want somebody else to suffer. May they suffer as I have suffered. You know how wrong this is? You know, it's great in the movies. In the movies, we applaud them as heroes. Yay, the bad guy's finally getting it. But that's, God says there is still hope for the bad guy. I want them to know me. I want them to fall in love with me. You might be the conduit for them to do it. So stop, barf, get rid of that malice that's in you. Second, get rid of all deceit lying and distorting the truth to mislead or to cheat people. You're a salesperson, and you have a quota to meet. And you go ahead and you lie to your boss so that you can meet the quota. You go ahead and say, yeah, I fulfilled those many packages when you didn't. You, yeah, I was there when you weren't. You mislead the truth. Imagine you're a, you're a carpet salesperson. One guy gave this illustration, carpet salesperson, and the person their carpet would be in on this day, but you know it wasn't going to be. You know the mill hadn't even started making the carpet yet, but you said, it'll be there within a week, ma'am. Knowing full well it wouldn't be there within a week, but you wanted to appease her because you knew if you told her a week, the next week you would call, it'd probably be days. And she would accept days versus a week, but, but you had to lie. You had to choose to mislead. The salesperson goes, yeah, that's the best price we have. The phone company says, yeah, yeah, you're getting the best thing. We are lied to and cheated, but may that not be true of us as a church. May we speak words of truth and words of encouragement. So you need to barf, you need to get rid of lying or distorting the truth. Question, try not to distort the truth. Third, you need to stop with the hypocrisy. It means to pretend to be someone with a greater moral character than others or acting special just to get people's approval. Here's the truth. All of us, although we're precious gems, all of us have inclusions in us. All of us have faults. All of us have brokenness in us. No one here is perfect. No one here has it right. No one here is God. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And uh, we had a men's breakfast. I'm going to i got a couple of minutes. We had a men's breakfast yesterday. In the men's breakfast, the men we had an open discussion. Frank led a great discussion. Um, and, and it was kind of like listening to the book of Romans, chapters 1, 2, and 3, as I listened to it. Because first we talked about how bad the world was. Oh, the world, <laughs> world's going to hell. And then, you know, we started to say, we're part of the cause. Because, because ultimately we said, we too are sinners. We all admitted that we too had problems. And we too were just as bad. And then then it was kind of like the Spirit of God needs to move in us to help us walk in a manner worthy of Him. It was great just listening to the men acknowledge that, yeah, it's bad, yeah, I'm a sinner as well. That's the same thing. With Sometimes we, we put on this 
facade, I'll say that for Amy, we put on this facade um, of, of trying to be someone who's super moral and super got their life together. Sometimes I get pushed back if I share some things about what I'm going through. I share sometimes that, that I struggle. God, what? why aren't you answering prayers? Oh, Paul, you can't struggle like that. I can. I can struggle and say, God, where are you? But you're, you're the pastor. You're supposed to be the man of faith. Hey, my faith sometimes is weak. Your faith sometimes is weak. But together we can strengthen each other, knit each other together, become stronger together. Number yeah, get rid of envy. Envy is where you hold resentment towards another person because they have something that you don't, but you inwardly desire it. Whatever it is that they have, you really want. And you don't have it, and therefore you envy it. That shouldn't be part of the church. Some people are going to have more gifts than you have. Some people are going to have more money than you do. Some people are going to have more stuff than you do. Applaud them. Praise God for what's going on because their struggles are just different than your struggles. Their challenges are just as different as your challenges. Number five, barf and get rid of making up false statements or disgrace somebody and ruin their reputation. How do you talk about other people? Do you slander people? And therefore, when you talk about other people, even if you disagree with them, do you talk about other people so that it becomes impossible to think good of them? If you talk to me about this person and all you do is talk bad, and I get the privilege of meeting that person, what am I going to think about that person? It'll be hard for me to think anything good about that person because you have built such an evil person out of them that, that are they beyond redemption? No. As long as they're here on earth, as long as they're standing alive, the Spirit of God can be used through you and through others to bring them to Christ. Our job, our job is not to slander them so that other people can't think of them as being humans. And so I, I paraphrased this verse and I said this, stop putting people down and speaking evil of them so that others can't think anything good of them. And stop thinking or, and stop secretly envying people and publicly lying about yourself and pretending to be somebody you are not. That's the stuff inside of you that you got to retch out. And it's never pretty. And so stop trying to be pretty about the problem. Admit that you got a sickness. And let's work together and, and get involved in the group. But the second one is so much better. The second one is crave. You get rid of the bad so that you can put the good in. And then Peter says there are three things, and we're going to get the whole list next week, three things that are good. We are to crave, crave pure spiritual milk. Oh, man. Remember when you did a tall glass of milk, you just drink that and you go, oh, nothing feels better sometimes going down. Crave the pure spiritual milk. Grow up into your salvation, the very thing we've looked at last couple of weeks. And then taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, taste is something that is personal. I can do this, and I can do that, but, but you've got to make the personal decision to accept him. You can't become a Christian because your mom and dad were a Christian. You can't become a Christian because your aunt and uncle were Christians because you were raised in the church. It is something you have to personally do. Every single person in this room has to said, said, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Lord Jesus, I accept you. You are mine. You've done this for me. 
You got to taste, personally taste. I, I, I could describe to you the taste of a wonderful hamburger, but until you take a bite of it, you will never know the satisfaction of that good hamburger. Same is true with Christ. I can describe him. I can tell you about my life. I can tell you my journey. We can have a thousand people up here telling you about how God worked in their life. God and living. God's changing. But each person here has to personally decide to accept him. You've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. Although it is personal, it is not private. Just because you've made a personal decision means that you need to now confess it. It is with your mouth that you confess your heart that you believe that Jesus is Lord, two-part process. You believe in your heart, great, but now you've got to tell people. I think our challenge as a church is we are pretty private people. We don't tell anybody. We don't share anybody. We don't invite other people. So let's stop making our Christianity private and start making it public. Okay? Allowing the light of you, his precious stones. And so the verse 1 and 2 says this. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And like newborn babes, crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up into your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. The verse 9 begins like this. Verse 9 begins, it says, But you... Uh, we're going to have to wait till next week to get to that verse. <laughs> But you, it is a great, it is a great passage. You're going to want to come next week. But you. So this week, church, know that you're a stone, but you're not a piece of grace. You are a precious stone, one of immense value that God, that God gleaned, dug from the earth. He loves to put into his precious place, and he wants his light to shine through it brilliantly. But there are some flaws in it that you've got to get rid of, and so get rid of those things that are distorting his light from shining through you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, for this group of believers here that, that tasted that you were good through the juice and the cracker, and then fed upon, feasted upon your word. Thank you, Lord, for them. And now, Lord, I pray that you would take this message and you would use it in a way that is above and beyond, in a way that causes us, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of you for your glory and for your benefit. It is in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, if I could have the ushers come forward for the morning offering. And if you are a guest here for the first time, feel free, just fill out an um, orange connection card. We would love to get to know your address. Um, I got note, you know, we sent out a little video clip this week about announcements, and there's some kids that are here this morning because of it. And we're going to continue to use text messaging as a way to communicate to you. And so make sure your phone number's on there, phone number and email. That's a very inexpensive way for us to do it, cheaper than a letter. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, this time of giving back to you in a very personal faith, and we give back to you for your glory and for your purpose. Use these resources. In your name we pray, amen.